And we're going to start with John 10.10. Now this is a familiar scripture to a lot of people, and it's such a core foundational scripture for understanding understanding God, understanding his goodness. John 10.10. And in this, you know, Jesus is giving the parable of the how he lays his life down for the sheep. You know, we're the sheep, right? And uh, in John 10.10, Jesus talks about his mission, one of the reasons he came. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or have abundance. Now, this is like red letters in your Bible. This is the master speaking. And in your life, I'm sure in everyone's life, you've experienced times where something's been stolen or something's been destroyed. Oh, thanks, Chance. Or uh, <laughs> I feel like I should talk in a deeper voice now. Um, <laughs> where something's been stolen, something's been killed, something's been destroyed. And, you know, when you look at the world today, there are so many people that are hurting, that are looking for life. And Jesus says right here that he came to give us life, but not just life, but a life of abundance or life abundantly, life overflowing, life without limit. I'd say life as God has it. Now, that's a huge contrast to how a lot of the world lives. I mean, you even look at these, you know, these big Hollywood stars who got all the money and all the fame and stuff, and there's emptiness in, in many of them. And they're trying to fill it with stuff. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He who believes on me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So this is a life in abundance. And we're going to talk about what that prosperity, what that abundance, what it encompasses. And I'm actually going to use the life of Joseph to talk about that. And I wanted to share a quote with you just before we, we got going. And I heard this quote actually from uh, John Eldridge. Um, and it's by a guy named uh, St. Arrhenius. And he said, The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. Fully alive. What's it like to be fully alive, every part of you, your mind, your heart, your soul, your will, your emotions, your relationships, everything about you alive. Now, lots of us know what it feels like to be dead tired, <laughs> come home from a long day of work. You're the opposite of fully alive. You're fully lazy. You just want to sit on the couch, turn on the TV, or just, just unplug. But God is saying here, or well, this quote says, glory of God is man fully alive. Jesus came to give us life. And we're not talking just, just living some kind of good life like in a Hollywood movie. We're talking life to the very deepest parts of what you are, who you are, completely alive. Just with the electric power of God. So let's go, first of all, actually just before I go to Joseph, just talk to you really quick. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, when God first made this entire world, 
and Adam and Eve were placed in there, there was no sickness or disease. There was no strife or lack. I mean, even the animals were nice to each other. Everything was good. Uh, there, was no, there was no lack whatsoever. You want to talk about, about real estate. These guys own the entire planet, you know. There was no conflict. And, I mean, if you read about various Christian scientists, they speculate that, I mean, the, the level of intellectual capacity people had back then was phenomenal. The world was perfect, and so was man. No lack, no disease, and that was God's original intention for us. And then, as you know, things happen. Sin entered the world, curse entered the world, but Jesus came to turn it around. Now, we're going to go to Genesis 39, which is the story of Joseph. And we're going to look at how God prospered Joseph. Now, a lot of us have heard this story and heard it over and over again, or we've seen the cartoon, you know. <laughs> but I want you, when you're reading through this, think of it with fresh eyes and also think of it in a view of how God prospered this man. And again, some, some of us are just, you know, we think when you hear prosperity, you think finances. You're going to see that in here. God did prosper this man financially, but also on a lot of other levels, his health, his mind, his spirit, his family relationships, socially. And you'll see different reasons why I believe he prospered. So I'll start at Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, most of you will know the story. Here's Joseph with a dream. He sees this vision these sheaves of wheat are bowing down to him. The stars are bowing down to him. He tells his brothers. And instead of them saying, oh, we're so happy for you, Joseph. They say, we're going to kill you and throw you in a pit. And it was only their greed that actually saved Joseph. They're like, hmm, well, if we, if we sell him, we could get some silver. And we could, you know, we could buy some beer this weekend maybe with the silver. Who knows what they were thinking. But they didn't make a very good decision. This is their family member. And they've completely betrayed him. I've had people that haven't treated me the best in my life, but I've never had anyone beat me up, throw me in a pit, much less my own brothers. I don't know if Logan and Troy could throw me in a pit, though. <laughs> you are tall, but, you know, I've got the, if I got nice and low, I don't think you could do it. It's not a lot of pits in Saskatchewan either, <laughs> but I'll keep my eye on you. <laughs> so... Here's Joseph estranged from his family. And it's not just like, we don't like you anymore, don't talk to us again. They wanted him to die. And now they've sold him into slavery. I don't know anybody who's got a more tragic story than that. I've, I've yet to find it. And he's just been drug along how many miles to this slave auction. And you guys got to remember, this is a real person. This is a guy who is burning hot in the sun, who's thirsty, who's wondering what is going to happen in my life now. This isn't just like words on a page. This happened to somebody named Joseph thousands of years ago. So how do you think he's feeling by the time he gets to the slave market? 
And I don't know, maybe they treated their slaves good. They didn't want to damage the merchandise. Maybe they, you know, beat him up. I don't know how they treated him. But even if they treated him really well, he's still a slave. And I, I don't think they treated him that good. And this guy named Potiphar buys him. Now, this is all just in, in one verse here. But I want, when you get to verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, or a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, I think here that God prospered Joseph's spirit and mind. Now, you've got to think, you got to read between the lines a bit here. Here's a man who was just sold into slavery. Now, if you don't think that's going to be a mentally difficult obstacle to overcome, guess again. If I was sold into slavery, I'd be pretty bummed out. And I think any one of you would be. You'd be like, man, what am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to be? What am I gonna, what's going to happen to me now? And somehow, Joseph overcame that. And I believe it was the blessing of the Lord. Not only did he have to overcome mental adversity, but I believe spiritually, God was prospering, sustaining him. This guy didn't just drag himself through each working day with a whip over his back. This guy got up with a smile on his face and worked hard and became successful as a slave. So I believe in here, if you, if you look, God is prospering this guy. He's prospering him mentally. He's prospering him spiritually. And I believe that the reason this guy is successful is God was also giving him wisdom on how to handle his master's affairs. That's all, that's all happening, I believe, in this scripture. Joseph wasn't like, uh, I know you showed me this ten times already, but can you show me again how to clean the latrine because I really don't understand? Like, he knew exactly what to do. He was smart, smart with numbers, smart with... Some of that training probably came from his father. But... Uh, he was in a whole new land. He had to figure everything out. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now I'm going to go out a limb, on a limb here too and ask you, who do you think Joseph was calling out to at night? When no one was around, when he's looking up at the stars or it's dark and he's all alone, can't even speak the language probably. Who do you think he's turning to? This wasn't just God waving a magic wand over Joseph. I believe he was seeking God. He was seeking, and he was in a desperate situation. And he sought God. And it says that the Lord was with him and strengthened him. So that's, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just magic. This was Joseph drawing things, seeking God. And in verse 3 it says, Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph, Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, there's a couple people here who own a business. Spiro and Tina, what if you hired an employee 
that worked so well and was so diligent that they could take care of your entire restaurant for you. Not only take care of it, but do a better job than you do. You guys do a good job, don't get me wrong. Would that not be an awesome thing? That would be amazing. You know, I think of that with my business, man. Like, hire someone, they come in, and you see the blessing of God on them, and everything they touch prospers. That's awesome. And you got you to gotta realize, Potiphar, I don't think this guy was a slouch. I mean, this guy must have worked hard and been a smart guy to get where he is. And in comes this young guy, because Joseph, I would say at this time, he was, he was no older than in his early 20s, could have been younger, comes in, and everything starts prospering. That's the blessing of God. And it didn't just happen, again, by, by magic. There's something going on in Joseph's mind, in Joseph's heart, in Joseph's attitude, in Joseph's will. He was listening, he was hearing, he was obeying, he was following God. That's what I believe was happening. And it'll work for us, too. Now, here's the kind of, oh, one other thing I've got to point out, which is cool. It says, also, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I believe God also prospered this guy's health, even his physical appearance. Man, if you're following God, if you're, I think he'll even make you look better. I believe that. You'll you'll look better. Kelly's like, oh, yeah. Especially if you get a haircut from me. That's what she's thinking. (laughs) But uh, if you've ever seen, like, somebody before they got saved and after they got saved, I'm telling you, their countenance can be totally different. When the joy of God is on you, it's like, wow, this is like, this person looks so different. And they look, they look joyful. They look, they look better. And I think that was part of the blessing on Joseph's life. So now ladies, don't take this the wrong way. If you don't look like someone photoshopped in a magazine, it doesn't because, mean you don't have God's blessing on your life. You do. <laughs> and now you know the rest of the story. It talks about how... Um, Potiphar's wife started coming after Joseph. And I mean, here's Joseph thinking, man, I got, I got a good thing going. I, I'm prospering. My master's trusting me with everything. And, and he's trying to ignore the advances of this woman. But finally, she catches him in a, in a moment where he's alone. She lies about it, takes his, takes his garment as he runs away and says to her master, hey, this, this guy, he, he tried to rape me. He tried to take advantage of me. And so here's all this stuff Joseph's worked for. I mean, this guy's already been sold into slavery and worked his way up. And now everything he's worked for, it's been taken away again by an injustice. By just the simplest little word of that wife, all of it's gone again. Only this time, as we see in verse 19, it says, Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there he was responsible for. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. <laughs> Seen a pattern here? 
But uh, before we talk about how Joseph did well in prison, I want you to think again. Here's a guy who once again got everything stripped from him in a day and is thrown in prison. Now, Joseph, I have a lot of admiration from him, for him, but remember, he was a person like us, and you can't tell me that he wasn't struggling with some thoughts of, wow, what is going to happen to my life now? Wow, has my God completely forsaken me? God, I, I did all this work, I, I served, and I, I didn't do anything wrong, and now I'm in prison. Like, his life once again went to the lowest of the low. And I believe in that time, Joseph had to have called out to God. I believe that's where he turned again. Now, some people, this could have happened to them, and they would have, they would have died in that prison. Could have crushed them, broke them. But I believe from, you know, it's kind of like David. He conquered the lion. He conquered the bear. He's going to conquer the Philistine. Well, Joseph overcame that slavery and that mentality. And now he's thinking, okay, you know what? I beat the slavery. Okay, God, we're going to beat this. If you face things in your life, you know, remember the past victories you had, what God's done for you before. Because every single one of you, you have victories in your life. Even just being here tonight, the fact that you've accepted Christ, that's the biggest victory of them all. You know, some of you fought, fought very hard to win that victory, to accept Christ. It was a battle. So I propose once again that Joseph's mind was being prospered and his spirit and his will, that God was strengthening him and prospering him. Because at this point, he had nothing but the shirt on his back, if he even had a shirt on his back, or whatever they wore back then. <laughs> and look what happened. Once again, the jailer puts Joseph in charge of everything. Everything's going well. This guy just keeps rising to the top. He keeps prospering. So what I want us to see from these two examples, first of all, in Potiphar's house as a slave, and then in the king's prison as a prisoner, in both those situations... Joseph prospered. Wow. Like, so what's our, ex what's our excuse, right? I mean, is your situation worse than that? I know mine sure isn't. God can prosper us anywhere, anything, no matter what. But I do believe Joseph did some things on, on, his, uh, on his part. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit to Genesis 41. So here he is. He's been in this dungeon, which I would, I would estimate from my interpretation of the story, at least a few years. He's been down there, and even though he's in charge of everyone, I don't think it's the most pleasant place. I think he really had to discipline himself to hold on to the dream that God had for him. You've got to ask yourself, I'm in a prison in Egypt. How am I going to you know, see this vision come to pass where these she's are bowing down to me, where the, the stars are bowing down to me. God, I thought I was supposed to do something great, but I'm trapped in this prison. How is this going to happen? I'd be asking that question if I was Joseph. Now, in a chapter before, it talks about how he interpreted the dreams. 
of two other people who were thrown in prison, the cupbearer and the baker. And again, you can, you can go back and read the story. I'm not reading the whole chapter just for the sake of time tonight. But one of the, uh, one of the uh, who was it now? The cupbearer, I believe. Yes, the king's cupbearer, who Joseph interpreted the dream for, was with the king, and the king had a dream that no one could interpret, and you know the story. The king calls for Joseph. Now we're going to start reading in Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. I love that. Hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes... He came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have, a, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Okay, so let's think in Joseph's mind again. This guy is just in, in like, we're talking within an hour, has gone from lowest prison to getting pulled out of there, shaved, fed, clothed. He's looking better than he has in years. And he's coming before the king. He didn't have a lot of time to be like, oh man, I'm going to be seeing the king in two weeks. I better fast and pray. I'm going to have to read some scriptures. I'm going to have to like get in the spiritual zone here so I can hear from God. You know, none of that. This was like, boom, minute man. You ready? It's like, you know, five minutes before the, the, ser the uh, service starts. You're preaching. Come on, you know. He was ready. I'll say this. I believe God was prospering Joseph spiritually in that prison. There was a, a spiritual prosperity. And a, he was attuned to God. There was this abundance in his spiritual life where, man, he could hear God so clear that he could hear, man, interpretations of the dreams. And even if you look in the book of Daniel, Daniel could even tell you what dream you had when you forgot it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> There's this... So there's this abundance of spirit here. This, this, his spirit's so alive. It's so in tune. That is prosperity, people. And look, look what it does. So I just want you to see that there was this magnificent inner prosperity in Joseph. In his mind, he was, he was smart. He was wise. He knew how to handle the master's affairs. In his emotions, he was strong. He was, I, I believe he was joyful. When he's out there working as a slave, shoveling who knows what, he's happy. I believe that his will was prosperous, that he had this, this will of iron. In fact, it says in Psalms, it talks about when he was in prison, it says that they put fetters on his feet and his soul came into iron. It's like he had an iron will. That's what I named my company after, actually. <laughs> Joseph. He was prosperous inside in all these different areas, and nothing could keep him down. Prison couldn't stop him. Slavery couldn't stop him. And now he's about to stand before the most powerful man in that nation. And I believe at that time, Egypt was probably the most powerful nation on earth. So this is like you're standing before the president of the United States, pretty much, in today's terms. And he says, okay, tell me what my dream means. And Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
Wow. So here's this guy, years in prison, and his edge, he hasn't lost his edge. He hasn't lost his spiritual edge. He hasn't lost his mental edge. I think physically he's still fit. And he looks at Pharaoh and says, it's not me. God's going to give you the answer. That's what a truly, a truly prosperous person, you're not going to get prideful. You're not going to say, well, I'm healthier than you. I'm smarter than you. I have more favor than you. No way, because it's, it's from God. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer, a favorable answer. And so Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, and he tells him the dream. And Joseph says in verse 25, Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. He talks about the seven good cows or seven years, seven good ears of corn or seven years, uh, the lean cows, the lean ears scorched by famine. And he says in 28, it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in the land of Egypt, and after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, which will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will bring it about quickly, or will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine okay why did I read all that why didn't I just summarize God gave Joseph a specific plan a very specific plan how to save this entire land from famine that was the wisdom of God and now what I love about this is God is not just prospering Joseph but he is prospering an entire nation through Joseph When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15, he said, you are blessed to be a blessing. God took this prosperity he was building in Joseph's life, and he's touching millions of people with it. And I love how specific this plan is. He says, take a fifth of the produce. It's going to be seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. He said, put overseers in charge of these different areas of land. Like, he knew to the T what he was supposed to do. God's wisdom. And in verse 37, it says, Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people shall do uh, homage only in the throne I will be greater than you Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt 
Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph, Zephenathpneah, and he gave him wife and different stuff, <laughs> different cool stuff. But I love what Pharaoh says. He says, where can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. I believe this is saying here that that wisdom God gave Joseph is what exalted him, what promoted him, what shot him forward. And this guy went in one day, you all know the story, but think about this, in one day from being in the prison to being ruler, other than Pharaoh, over the entire land of Egypt. And that wasn't a land of pyramids and sand at that time, like it is today. It was a very prosperous, flourishing nation. Maybe there was pyramids. There were just little bitty pyramids at that time. <laughs> I don't know. But I just want you to see in here that there was a lot of stuff that happened before Joseph got this, like, one-day promotion, which is awesome. Now, there were some very specific things that God did in Joseph's life and took him through. I believe he prospered his mind. He prospered his spirit. He prospered his health. He prospered his intellect. And look, he prospered Joseph financially. I bet if you saw Joseph's house, you'd be like, whoa. No plumbing or heating, but, you know, that's okay. Back then, nice house. <laughs> Very nice. The guy had every need met. I believe, without question, if you look in the Bible, is God's will to prosper your spirit, your soul, your body, your mind, your finances, and your relationships. And our next part in Joseph's story, we're going to talk about his relationships. But look, look at this, this grand scheme God's weaving together. So here's Joseph. He was a slave, he was a prisoner, and now, boom, he's a ruler. And it says at this time, if you see here, he's about 30 years old. So, I mean, this, isn't, this didn't take a long, long time. It says in 46, Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. <laughs> and I love this. He gathered all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus, Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think that's awesome. It's a lot of grain. Now, Joseph has had his finances prospered. I believe his body was prospered. He's not rotten in prison anymore. His mind is prosperous. His spirit is prospering. But you know what? Joseph still doesn't have his family. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that they're prosperous in different areas. Maybe financially they're doing okay, but their family is just in shambles. And I believe with all my heart 
that you can see God will restore things in your family. He will restore anything Satan took, family members that have fallen away, people that aren't just aren't following God, hurts that have occurred, unforgiveness, God can fix it all. And let me tell you, well, we'll, we'll, read, we'll read in here now. I, I want to point something out. Genesis 39 to the end of Genesis 41. In that time, all the stuff happens with the, the prison, the slavery, the dreams, the prosperity, etc. Now, from Genesis... 43 all the way to 46-ish. That's all talking about Joseph's family. It's pretty cool. It's like they have equal airtime in the Bible, you know. I think that's significant. It's very important to God that your family prospers. You know, it's interesting. Abraham, when Abraham got that promise from God, he wanted to be the father of a great nation. You know, God changed his name. His, his name meant father of, of multitude. And uh, God basically changed his name, or from great father to like a father of a multitude. So it's interesting how important family is to God. And we're going to go to Genesis 45. Again, for, for the sake of brevity, I'm not going to read through those, those previous two chapters. You can read through them on your own. It's actually quite a cool story, all the stuff that's happening, all the, all the things God set up where Joseph's saving this nation actually led to him getting connected back with his family. But things were not quite so rosy right off the start. As you may know the story, his brothers came back and they're looking for grain. They're hungry. And if they don't recognize Joseph, they, they probably think Joseph's dead. But, oh, Joseph remembers them. Oh, does he remember them? And a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, the tables are turned. <laughs> it is payback time, boys. Because, I mean, he could have snapped his fingers and they're in prison. They're dead. Whatever he wants to do, he is second in command of all of Egypt. So you got to wonder, what was happening in Joseph's heart over those years since he got thrown in the pit? Do you think he was just full of rage and hate? And then when his brothers came, he was like, okay, I'll forgive them. I don't think so. I think that he had to make a decision along the way to forgive them. He had to figure out, man, Oh, what my brothers did to me was terrible. I mean, I, you know, we played pranks on each other when we were kids, but we never, never sold each other into slavery. <laughs> we lit a lot of fires. We uh, did a lot of other things, but man, it's pretty harsh. I did shoot Logan in his eye with a dart, I guess, but <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> I, I thought the gun wasn't loaded. But you can see fine, can't you, Logan? <laughs> so you got to ask yourself, what was this guy, what was Joseph thinking over the years whenever he thought of his brothers? Because I know, I know if that happened to me, it'd be, it'd be tough to forgive somebody when they tried to kill you and sell you into slavery. 
He took your birthright, took your destiny, took everything. I've had some interesting experiences over the last few years, but nothing can come close to that. And I'm sure a lot of you, you know, you've had family members say stuff that maybe hurts or they've done stuff that has hurt you. But I'm telling you, if Joseph can forgive them, I think you can. And I mean, this is even in the new covenant or we're, we're in the new covenant, sorry. So, you know, the story, his brothers are sitting there and these different things are happening. He sneaks a cup into their grain. One of them gets taken. Benjamin gets taken. They come back to the father. And it's sad, you know, to think of the stuff that his father went through. Like, his heart's just breaking, right? But in the end, it says in, in uh, Genesis 45, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried. Have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I think they were terrified. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. Come near me. Isn't that interesting? Come near me. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Into, sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Not only is he forgiving them, he's saving them. Wow. Crazy. Amazing. And uh, you guys know, as the story goes on, in, uh, you go further down, it says in, uh, in verse 13, Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Uh, hold on a second. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back up to verse, uh, verse 8. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Wow. And Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Boy, how's that for a retirement plan, hey? Son's taking care of him. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you, now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt 
and all that you have seen, and all, you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. Wow. So here's pretty much the most broken family situation you can think of, and it's been completely restored. And the prosperity and abundance that Joseph had covered his entire family that tried to kill him. <laughs> that is an amazing example of prosperity. And I mean, when you think of Jesus Christ, we're, you know, we're the reason he had to go to the cross. He covered his provision, his forgiveness, his prosperity over us. He saved us. Joseph saved this family, saved the tribe of Israel. So, I know this was a long story, but I want you to see that God prospered Joseph's mind. God prospered Joseph's finances. God prospered his spirit. God prospered his social standing, big time. <laughs> God prospered Joseph's health. And God prospered, restored, healed, made better than ever before, Joseph's relationships. God wants you to prosper. He's not a respecter of persons. He loves you just as much as he loves Joseph. Granted, I, I, you know, God had a very special mission and a special way he did this in Joseph's life. There's no question about that. But I believe God has a plan and a way for you to prosper. Every single person in this room. We were just in Hawaii and uh, which was awesome, by the way. If you get a chance to go, you should go. <laughs> and we drove on the north side of Maui. And I'm talking like, you want to talk about a savage road. I know we got big potholes in Saskatchewan, but this is like, do not drive a wheel off the edge of this road or you will plummet about two or 300 feet down rocks into the ocean. And the road is like, I don't know, it's, it's literally, it's a one-car wide road, but there's two vehicles coming, so you got to, like, stop, pull. Like, we're talking middle of nowhere. Beautiful middle of nowhere, but middle of nowhere. And you're driving on this winding road, and as you're going along, and what? I'd say an hour from the main city, like, treacherous, treacherous road, there's this little green shack. And it's like, I don't know, it's as wide as about four chairs. And it would go back maybe four rows, and it's a banana bread stand. And it has a little sign that says, the world's greatest banana bread. <laughs> and you know what? It really is good banana bread. <laughs> I recommend you try it. We got blessed to find the story behind this little banana bread stand. From uh, We went to, to a church there, uh, Jonathan knows the pastors, and we went there, and this, this couple invited us out. They said, come see our farm. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, we have a taro farm. Well, it's like way up in these, this valley in Hawaii, and we're driving through all this stuff. Good thing we rented a Jeep. And this banana stand is in the same village that these people are, and they tell us a story. And this lady who owns this little green banana stand, she's a widow. Her husband died. And she didn't know, like, man, how am I going to take care of myself? And so she had this banana stand. 
and it just started prospering. I mean, she made really good banana bread too. God must have showed her how to make it because it was really good. And so in the middle of nowhere, there's this banana stand, and they said she's doing really well selling this banana bread. She got written up in some of these guides to Hawaii, and people drive, like, we're talking, we were what? We traveled like 3,000 miles, and we went and got some of this banana bread. People are coming from all over the world to get this banana bread from this little shack. And we did some, like, really quick calculations, like, okay, well, if there's, like, it's got to be at least 40 tourists, 50 tourists every few hours going by. And we figured it out, and we think she's making, she's got to be making at least 10 or 15 grand clear a month on her banana stand. <laughs> That's, I don't know. I could be wrong. It could be lower. But she's doing really good. Some of you younger people are like, yes, I know my life's destiny. <laughs> I'm going to go start a banana stand. Better pray about that one. But what I'm saying is, God had a plan to prosper this widow. And when you see this village, it is like the middle of nowhere. It makes a small Saskatchewan town look like a thriving metropolis. That's how small this village is. Some of these places don't have electricity or running water. Like, yeah. And she's a banana stand, and I think she's raking it in. So, <laughs> And it was good bread. Think of, uh, think of the ways that God prospered other people in the Bible. People who sowed in famine and reaped a hundredfold. Put rods by sheep. And they got to keep every spotted sheep. And all of a sudden, spotted sheep are everywhere and their flocks are growing. What about that uh, guy in Paul Young Cho's church in South Korea where his pastor walked by and said, get in salt. And this guy was like a beggar. And he started selling salt. He got the little packets of salt that, you know, we get for free over here. And he started selling them on the street. And eventually he had a little bit of extra money. He could get a little bag of salt. And he divided that into packets. And he started selling those and making a little profit. And then he started selling bigger portions of salt. And he kept growing. And then he started having little salt vendors under him. And today, the guy owns his own salt mines. He is like a multi-multi-millionaire. Like tens of millions of dollars this guy's worth, maybe more. And he was a beggar who started on the street selling salt packets. Now, he didn't just say, I think I'm going to sell salt packets. That sounds like a good idea. He got, like, wisdom and instruction from God, and that's what he started doing. I have heard of a, a fellow, I heard this in one of, uh, I think it was one of Kenneth Copeland's sermons. This guy who started trading stocks because God put it on his heart. Start trading stocks. And this guy would go in his closet and pray and pray and pray until he knew, okay, this is what I'm going to buy. This is what I'm going to sell. And, you know, he, I'm sure he studied and learned about the different companies and stuff. The guy did tremendously well. And that's how he figured out what his next move was going to be. He went and prayed. Um, when God wants to prosper you in health, he could tell you, stop eating this. Start eating that. He could t- God could tell you, Spiritually, I want you to get up in the morning, start spending time with me. Like he, he has specific ways in your life that he can prosper you. The financial, the financial stories are fun because they're like easier to measure. One of my favorite, a guy named R.J. Letourneau, he, uh, he invented the modern-day earth-moving machine, bulldozers, caterpillars. This guy was like an engineer, and he, 
he wasn't that well off. He was, he was a nobody. And one night he got a dream from God. And God showed him in this dream how to make bulldozers, how to make earth-moving machines. This is before they ever existed. This guy got up in the middle of the night and just started going crazy. He, like, pushes his wife off the bed. He's like, oh, my goodness, I know what to do. And he, he literally, he started taking his bed apart and laying the pipes around and stuff because and, God showed him in this dream how to make these bulldozers. And this guy became extraordinarily wealthy. Not only that, but his invention actually, they say, is what really helped the United States succeed in, in some of the world wars because they needed this earth-moving equipment for a lot of stuff. And this guy, R.J. Letourneau, got to the point where he gave away 90% of his wealth and lived on 10%. It was super rich, like super rich. And it all, one night, came to him in a dream. Think of David. He started in a pasture watching sheep, and I believe praising God. I mean, where did he learn to sing and sing all those praises? He started with just this little thing, got in touch with God. And 20 years later, he's sitting on the throne of Israel saying, how did I get here from the pasture to the palace? I'm giving you these examples because whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's your relationships, God has a plan for you to prosper in your life. I've heard of people that have been estranged from their children, their kids. Their kids are broken and away from home. And God says, you've got to tell them this. Like, like John Copeland, um, did you, you ever hear the story about Kenneth Copeland where he talks about how God said, John thinks that you think he's a bad boy. And J- Kenneth Copeland said, I, Lord, I don't think that. No, but John thinks that you think that. And Kenneth went to John and he told him that. And it just, that was a turning point that started healing their whole relationship. And he's like, John Copeland's following God wholeheartedly today. Just a little thing like that. And there's things we could go on and on, but what I'm trying to say with these examples is that for each one of you in your lives, God has a specific plan. And you might not know what the heck you're supposed to do. You guys, I'm pretty sure it has something to do with a restaurant, but... Who knows? <laughs> but you're, ser- you know, you're serving people in that restaurant. You're blessing people. Think of all the good times we've had at Spiros. You know, it's a, it's a lot more than, than finances that you'll prosper, and God's going to bless people's lives. But God has a specific plan for you, and if you will seek him, and if you will spend time with him, he will unveil that plan. And it could be something as crazy as salt or banana bread, Maybe a crazy computer glove. Who knows? But God has a plan for each one of you. And the last part of my my message was, I called it prosperity and peace. So we talk about this prosperity. We talk about this this peace. I'm not going to spend as much time talking about peace. I was kind of focusing on the story of Joseph and prosperity. But in Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 6, I just want you to see the price that Jesus paid so you can walk in abundance, so that you can walk in fullness of life, in prosperity, and in peace. 
And a lot of times we think peace means, oh, we're not at war, so it's peaceful. Okay, well, that's, that's one definition of it. But the Bible definition of peace comes from a Hebrew word, shalom, which means complete wholeness. There's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. There's nothing deficient in your life, no matter what it is. That's the Bible definition of peace. That's God's definition. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed their message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. And he was doing that all for us on the cross. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being, or our peace, our shalom, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Any shred of prosperity and abundance and peace and forgiveness we experience in God is all because of Jesus Christ. All of it. He paid the price so we could walk in it. Now, your sins are forgiven. Praise God. If you've accepted him as your Savior, and I believe everybody in this room has. If you haven't, we should talk after the service or right at the end here. But God has made the way. Jesus has paid the price. And uh, I'm just going to kind of wrap it up with how I believe practically a person can walk in prosperity and abundance. Just some very simple things. Um, first, I believe you've got, to, you've got to firmly believe that it is God's will for your life. I have... As I've traveled, I've, I've got to experience different, different churches and kind of some different breeds of, of Christianity. I don't know if you can call it that. But, um, and it has surprised me that people will make up their own, you know, their own doctrines. Like, well, you know, God, God doesn't want you to have money. God wants you to be poor. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. I see in Proverbs... Very clearly, it talks about that if you're wise, God will prosper you. But he's not just going to prosper you financially. He's going to prosper every part of your being. And he's not doing it, he, he's not doing it just because he wants you to, you know, have a giant bank account. He wants you to bless and help other people. He wants you to spread his kingdom. But you know what? We can make up our own doctrines and we can make up our own reasons of what we think God is like or why we think he doesn't want that but this is where you get your answers from the word of God this shows us what God's will is not what we've thought up not what we've think from experience is God's will this says very clearly what God's will is for our lives and I I believe after a thorough study of God's word that his will is completely for his people 
to prosper on every level. Now, if you aren't, or if there's certain areas you're fighting with, or, you know, maybe it's health, maybe it's family, maybe it's, maybe it is finances, maybe it's spiritually, you're just, you're struggling along. You know what? Don't get down on yourself. God has, he has a way. He has a plan. He will bring you to a place of prosperity. But I want to read very quickly Psalms 35, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. It's a very, a scripture many of you have heard. Psalms 35, verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and rejoice, who favor my vindication, and let them say continually, The Lord be magnified, who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And again, that's prosperity on every level. Health, mind, socially, relationally, spiritually, financially, every level of your being. Now, okay, if that's God's will for my life, how come I'm not exactly seeing that in every area of my life? Well, um, we'll cover one or two scriptures tonight as I wrap up. But if you really want to learn about what it takes to walk in in true abundance and prosperity, read through the book of Proverbs. It is all over the book of Proverbs. And the guy who wrote it was Solomon, wisest man who ever lived. I think he knew a a thing or two. I'm just going to read you one one thing from Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 10, verse 4. It says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. I believe Joseph was a very diligent man. And I think from looking at these examples, you can see that wisdom and prosperity will go hand in hand. I've heard a story from a friend. Uh, He knew a police officer in British Columbia who was called in to do a drug bust on this guy's house, or this guy's, like, apartment. And it was this rundown apartment. He gets in there, and this, this guy is just, like, wrecked, laying on the floor, looks super rough. The part, there's like needles and glass and drugs everywhere, and it's just his life is a wreck. He gets in and he says, hey, look, I've been called. There's been some complaints. It's obvious what's going on here. I'm going to have to take you in. And as he's getting ready to take this guy in, he sees this picture sitting there of the guy, and he's got like the nicest clothes, a brand new truck, and all this stuff, and it's just like this guy looks like he's doing really well. He's like, says, what, what's this? Like, is that you? He says, yeah. Well, what's, what's the story here? Well, he says, I won the lottery a few years ago. And I won, I think it was something like $4 million. He said, it's, it's all gone. He spent it all on drugs, on partying, on, it was all gone. So that guy, he got wealth handed to him, but he had no wisdom. He had no diligence, and it just went right through his fingers. In fact, it destroyed him, or it helped destroy him. He had a problem before that. That story really, uh, it really made me think. So I believe that, uh, that with prosperity and peace, they come through obedience and wisdom to God, to his word. I believe wisdom will produce the diligent work in your life. I also, uh, I think from the scripture, we can see that that financial prosperity does come through walking 
in, in your God-given gifts and developing them through diligence and patience. Joseph had a gift to interpret dreams. He had a gift of uh, management. And different people have different gifts. I believe everybody in this room, you have a God-given gift that can be developed. Uh, relationship prosperity can come many ways. I believe through love and forgiveness, a thankful and joyful heart. John 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. You can have prosperity in your health. A joyful heart does good like medicine. It's forgiveness. Maybe God's telling you to be obedient to take care of your body in some certain way. And spiritual prosperity through daily communion with, with the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. So, I guess, I just, I felt like what God wanted me to tell you guys tonight was that he wants you to prosper. I was going to preach on spending time with Jesus, but that's what I, that's what I think God, I don't know who that's for tonight, I hope it's for all of you, that God wants you to prosper. Um, it will take obedience on your end, it may not happen overnight, and it could be on all different levels, whether it's Again, financial, mental, health, family. But I, I believe from the Bible, you can see clearly that that is God's will for your life. John 10.10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly.